0: Of all the stories in the Bible, the story of Noah and the ark may be the most widely known. Think of all the plastic toy sets with a little ark and lions and elephants and zebras. Think of all the Noah and ark storybooks. Or maybe you've enjoyed animal crackers out of a box shaped like an ark. The story of all the animals living together with Noah and his family in a huge boat is compelling even to non-Christians and especially to children. And what I find surprising is that for the most part, people in our culture get the basic outline of the story right, even if their version is incomplete. Noah really did build a big boat and it really did get filled with animals. Noah and the animals really did survive the flood by floating together in the boat that Noah built. But what I will try to show today is that this Bible story is not just a story about Noah and some animals. I want to flip our culture's understanding of the story of Noah with its emphasis on animals and boats on its head. The story of Noah and the ark is primarily a story about the living God. It is a story that teaches us who he is and how he relates to his creation, and especially how he relates to human beings. But you might ask, why are we looking to an Old Testament story to tell us what God is like? Maybe you think these Old, sto- Old Testament stories make God seem so angry and uncaring. After all, the flood killed every person and animal on earth except Noah's little family and a few animals. How can this be the same God who sent his son to die for us on the cross? As we work through this story, I hope you will see that the God who sent the flood is indeed the same God who sent his son to die on the cross. God does not change. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. It doesn't get more clear than that. So what we learn about God from the story of Noah will never be contradicted by what we read later on in Scripture. In fact, the New Testament authors refer back to this story to teach us not only about who God was and how he related to people before the coming of Christ, But also to teach us about who God is and always was and always will be. They use it to teach us about how He always has and always will relate to His people. They refer back to this old, old story to point forward to a future of both hope and judgment. They can do all this because God does not change and because God does not change his word does not change as first 1 peter 1:25 says the word of the lord remains forever so let's look to god's word and especially to the new testament authors to help us interpret this old testament story because their interpretation like all scripture is god breathed and so perfect and true and unchanging Since the story of Noah is so well known, I won't be teaching through it verse by verse. Instead, I want to point out four things that we learn from the story about God's character and how he treats human beings. Four things that should lead us to fear him, to trust him, to thank him, and to set our hope in him. The first thing that we learn about God from this story is that he is just and will always punish evil. Human wickedness is the reason God sent the flood. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 explains that people were very wicked in the time of Noah. It says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Then in verse 7, God says what he intends to do about this wickedness. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. God flooded the earth to destroy all human life because human beings were evil. God is perfectly good and will not tolerate anything that isn't also good. He cannot tolerate sin. This story should serve as a warning to us and should lead us to fear him. Contrary to the cartoon version of Noah and the animals that is taught to children, the story of the flood told in scripture is terrifying. Imagine it. People were going about their business just like any other day. Then as chapter 7 verse 11 tells us, on the 17th day of the second month, All the underground waters erupted from the earth and the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. In an instant, everything on earth changed. Water gushed from below. Water rained from above. And the world became a soup of people and animals and whatever else could float. No one could escape from the water of God's judgment. Look at verse 21. All the living things on earth died. Birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people. Everything that breathed and lived on dry land died. Somehow, We always imagine ourselves with Noah in the ark, don't we? We don't put ourselves in the shoes of the people who weren't rescued from the flood. But I want you to take a moment to grasp God's terrifying judgment on people who do evil. The second half of Exodus 34-7 tells us that God does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their, chil- their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. God does not let sinners off the hook. The story of the flood gives us a glimpse of the justice of God, and it is terrifying. So the first thing we learn about God from this story is God is just and will punish evil. Praise be to God that this isn't all we learn from this story. The second thing we learn about God from this story is that he is faithful and never breaks a promise. Do you remember back in Genesis 3 where God said that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head? What would become of this promise if all of Eve's descendants were wiped out in the flood? In the Gospel of Luke, as Luke traces the genealogy of Jesus Christ back in time, we find the name Noah. Noah was Jesus' great, great, I don't know how many greats, grandpa. The line of descendants of Eve that would bring us the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was protected in the ark from the judgment of God because God always keeps his word. He said that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head and he will make good on that promise. This promise could be kept because Jesus, I mean God delivered Noah and his family from the flood. No grandpa Noah, no Messiah. But God never breaks a promise, so Noah and his family were spared. Therefore, the second thing that we learn about God from this story, God is faithful and never breaks a promise. The third thing that we learn about God from this story is that God blesses sinners. This might feel like a contradiction, given my first point, that God is just and punishes sinners, but it's still true. God blesses sinners. Back in the garden, just after Adam and Eve sinned, God said that he would crush the serpent's head. It was a promise of blessing to sinners. Then before before Noah entered the ark, God said to him, But I will confirm my covenant, or promise with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. God promises to save Noah's family in the ark, even though they were not without sin. It was a promise of blessing to sinners. And if you have any doubt left that God blesses sinners, look at chapter 8, verse 21. Just after Noah left the boat and made a sacrifice, God made a promise to him. I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains... There will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. God blesses Noah and all his descendants, which includes every human being that would live after the flood with regular seasons, regular harvests, and regular days and nights. These things are necessary for human beings to prosper, and God gives them to human beings with hearts bent toward evil. So in the story of the flood, we see the fulfillment of God's promise made to sinners in the garden. We see God blessing Noah's family by saving them from the flood, even though they were not sinless. We see God blessing Noah's family and his descendants by providing regular days and seasons and harvests as long as the earth remains. So the third thing we learn about God from this story, God blesses sinners. The fourth thing that we learn about God from this story is God saves those who have faith in him. I think that if you ask people on the street why it is that God saved Noah from the flood, most would say it is because Noah was good and the people who died in the flood were bad. And there is biblical evidence that would seem to support this view. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, God tells Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Does this mean that Noah was so good that God delivered him from the flood because Noah deserved no punishment from God? I don't think so. Notice in chapter 8, verse 20. What Noah did after the waters receded and he left the ark. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. If Noah was completely blameless before God, then there would have been no reason for him to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Noah must have been a sinner. And in verse 21, God says that everything human beings think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. At the time that God says this, the only family on on the earth was Noah's family. Noah's family couldn't have been delivered from the flood for being sinless. So if God calling Noah righteous doesn't mean that he was sinless... What does it mean? I think there are two possible explanations for Noah being called righteous. The first is that Noah was righteous in comparison to the people who were punished by the flood. And he certainly was. But being better than other people or trying really hard to do the right thing or doing good most of the time is not good enough for God. Remember our first point. God always punishes evil. He doesn't tolerate even the smallest sin. Noah may have been more righteous than everyone else on earth, but if he still needed to make sacrifices to the Lord, and if God could still say when Noah and his family, only Noah and his family remained that everything humans think or imagine is bent toward evil, Noah must not have been perfectly righteous. He must have also deserved God's punishment. The second explanation, and I think the right one, is that Noah had faith in God, and that because of that faith, God called Noah righteous. Noah was saved not because he hadn't ever sinned, but because he had faith in God. To understand Noah's faith, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Remember the words of the serpent to Eve. Did God really say? How easy must it have been for Noah to doubt God's word like Adam and Eve did. Did God really say to build a huge boat on dry land? Did God really say that he would wipe out everyone who wasn't in the boat? And how will I get all those animals in there? They have teeth. Am I wasting a hundred years of my life on this project? Yet Genesis 6, verse 22 says, Noah did everything exactly as the Lord commanded him. His actions prove that he believed and trusted God. He had faith in him. Now let's go forward to the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 7, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Here is confirmations of of Noah's faith in God. This is the answer to how Noah can be called righteous despite his sin. He received the righteousness that comes by faith. God saved Noah and his family from the flood, not because they had done nothing wrong, but because of their faith in him. So the fourth thing that we learn about God from this story God saves those who, like Noah, have faith in him. And since God is unchanging, these four things that we learn about God in the story of Noah are true today and will always be true. God is just and he will always punish evil. God is faithful and he will never break a promise. God is gracious and he blesses sinners like Noah. And God saves those who have faith in him. All of these things are still true of our unchanging God. But are you feeling some tension between these four points? If you're not, let me read to you Exodus 34, 6 and 7. We've already heard part of this passage, but let's hear the whole thing. Yahweh, the Lord... The God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. How can it be that God will always punish people who do evil and yet make promises of blessing to them? How can he always punish sin and yet save sinners? And make no mistake, God does not change. He will always punish sin. We learn in the second letter of Peter in the New Testament that the flood was not the final judgment, but a picture of a more terrible judgment yet to come. Peter says, And God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. Because God doesn't change, the flood is an example of what will happen to people who sin. God will destroy them. Later in the same letter, Peter says the following about people who doubt the coming judgment of God. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment, when ungodly people will be destroyed. This is making the same point, isn't it? Peter is telling his readers that the flood should serve as an example of how God will punish sinners. What's more, in Matthew 24, verses 37 to 39, Jesus also connects the flood to the final judgment that will come when he returns. This is what he says. When the Son of Man, this is a name for Christ, returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Jesus is saying that God sent the flood as an enduring example of how he will judge evil. God does not change. If he punished evil in Noah's time, he will punish it again, this time with fire instead of water. If the flood is terrifying, and it is, do we even have a word to describe the coming judgment of fire? God always punishes evil. But if God always punishes evil, And everyone, including Noah and his family, sin. How can anyone be saved from punishment? How can we be saved from the coming fire? We've already seen a glimpse of the answer. Remember that Noah had faith in God and his promises. It was because of his faith that God spared him. But if Noah was a sinner and we have already seen that he was, how can it be that God can spare him just because he had faith? God punishes people who do evil, and no matter how strong Noah's faith was, didn't he still do evil? The Bible is clear. Noah is not without sin. That is why he didn't live forever, but eventually died like everyone else who sins. So how can anyone be saved from God's judgment? Old Testament believers like Noah weren't given a complete answer to this question. They just had to trust that God both punishes people who sin and yet forgives people who sin. They had to trust that somehow God would indeed bless those who had faith in him. What those Old Testament believers did know was that a person would eventually come, the one promised in the garden, the one who would crush the serpent and break the curse of death, and that gave them hope. Even the prophets who wrote the Old Testament that foretold the coming Savior did not fully understand how it was that sinners could be saved from judgment. 1 Peter one ten and 11 says, This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. So even the prophets for that sorry, one second so even though the prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah, And of his suffering and glory, they didn't understand how it was that the Messiah would save them. But brothers and sisters, we have been given the good news. We aren't left in the dark. The promised Savior has come and revealed the answer to the question of how it is that sinners can be saved from judgment. The reason that Noah's faith and our faith can save us from judgment is that through faith we become united to the Savior of the world who was promised in the garden. Faith did not make Noah sinless, but it united him with Jesus Christ who is. Let's read together through Romans chapter 3 verses 23 to 26. And I'll just stop and make a few comments as I read. These words are written by the Apostle Paul after Jesus had died on a cross, was resurrected, and had ascended to heaven. I'll be reading from the NIV translation. It reads, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul says about Noah and about you and about me. We've all sinned and deserve punishment. He continues, And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So when we believe in Jesus, we receive him. We become united with him. His blood is shed instead of our own blood. He takes our punishment. We escape the fire. Punishment for sin is poured out and sinners are forgiven. And listen closely to this next verse. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. What this is saying is that the reason why people like Noah were spared punishment during the Old Testament period before Christ came was that God looked ahead to Jesus Christ and his death on a cross. Why did God do this? Let's keep reading. He did it. To demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Paul is saying that when Jesus died on the cross, God showed how it is that he always punishes sin and yet always saves those who have faith in him. The tension between God always punishing sin and yet forgiving sinners was resolved by Jesus Christ when he bore their punishment on the cross. God doesn't change. There has only ever been one way to escape his judgment, and that is through Jesus Christ by faith. This was true in Noah's time. It is true now. And it will be true in the future. No sinner has ever been saved from punishment in any other way. Do you see that Noah was saved by faith through Jesus Christ, who freely gave himself as a sacrifice for Noah's sins? The judgment of God that Noah deserved was poured out. God always punishes sin. But it wasn't poured out on Noah. Noah's faith united him with Jesus, so that Jesus bore his punishment and Noah received Jesus Christ's righteousness as his own. The the writer of Hebrews says, By his faith, Noah received the righteousness that comes by faith. That righteousness that Noah received is the same righteousness that all who believe receive. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ who led a perfect and sinless life. Salvation in the days of Noah was through Jesus. Salvation today is through Jesus. And salvation will always be through Jesus. Without him and his sacrifice for us on the cross, bearing our punishment... Faith would not save anyone from God's judgment. But with Jesus and his atoning sacrifice, sinners who have faith can escape eternal punishment to enjoy never-ending life with him. You, like Noah, are a sinner. How then can you be saved by a God who always punishes sin? By believing in Jesus Christ. Only if you have faith in Jesus Christ can you have hope to escape the coming judgment of God when Jesus Christ returns to judge the earth. May fear of God's judgment lead you to hope in his promises of blessing to sinners, to trust in his faithfulness to those promises, and to have faith in his promised Savior. Brothers and sisters, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you, like Noah, will be saved. How good it must have been to escape from the flood in a big boat filled with animals to live a long life on earth. But how much greater it is to escape eternal fire, to live forever with the Son of God. Please pray with me. Father, forgive us our our sins. Spare us from your coming judgment through your Son, Jesus Christ, just as you spared Noah from the flood. Give us faith that leads to life. Amen.